Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. We'll read through verse 44. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him thither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thou shalt say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and comest thee about, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not Leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Now, our Father, we look into your word. We pray that you would bless our efforts to proclaim the truth that we find here in the story of the triumphal entry. May we see the weeping king and the reason for which he wept. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? 
for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. In the time of his crucifixion, at the opposite end of his life, Pilate prepared a placard and placed it on the cross and declared Jesus the King of the Jews. Isn't it strange that his life began with the proclamation that he is the king and it ended with the same proclamation, he is the king. Now during his life, he proclaimed that he was a king of a different kingdom or a kingship than most people thought. The sermon that he preached on the Mount of Olives described the kingdom of which he was the king, but never would he allow anyone to proclaim him as such until near the end of his life when he was on trial before Pilate and Pilate asked him, are you in fact the king of the Jews? And Jesus responded, you have said that I am. And on the day of the triumphal entry, that is our consideration this morning, Jesus allowed the disciples and his other followers to place him upon the back of a donkey, the coat of a donkey, and let him ride into the city, there spreading the palm leaves and their clothes in front of him, and shouting, Blessed is the King that comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Won't you stop your disciples from this mockery? And he said, I tell you this, if they did not do it, even these stones along the side of the road would shout out. He is indeed a king. But we're looking at that side of him this morning that is the weeping side. We call him the weeping king. He came on riding on the back of a little coat. The ass was considered to be the symbol of peace and humility. And as he rode out that city from Bethany towards Jerusalem, he finally came to a little rise in the hill where he could oversee the city. And there he stopped. And the scripture says that there he beheld the city and he wept over it. Why? This isn't the first time that we find him weeping. He wept at the death of Lazarus as he stood before the tomb. And before he cried for Lazarus to come forth, he wept. Tears are an important part and a real part of our lives. When do you weep? Sometimes we weep in joy. We cannot help but shed tears when we are extremely happy. Sometimes we weep when we are sad. We weep at death. We weep at sorrow. Women weep more than men. We men somehow are not supposed to weep. I remember hearing a young man say to his young son when he was crying, don't do that, it's not manly. And some men have been taught that, I'm sure some of you were taught that as a young child, that a man doesn't weep. 
But Jesus wept. And what greater example do we have than our own Savior who found it necessary and advisable to participate in the outflow of emotion that was revealed in his tears. Why did he weep? This is what we want to look at this morning. I want to suggest four reasons for his weeping. Four reasons that he wept. First of all, I think he wept because of his compassion. He loved deeply. Anyone who loves deeply will find times in their life when they will weep. If you do not weep when you love deeply, you have abused a great privilege that is yours to release your emotions and reveal your true feelings, your true nature. He loved deeply. Our scripture says that greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what Jesus had embarked upon to do. In a few short hours, he was going to lay down his life for the people for whom he wept. And he wept for you and me as well. The great sacrifice of giving his life and he wept. Now he was not weeping for himself. He was weeping because of his love and compassion for those that were before him. You all will recall that tremendous tragedy in Washington, D.C., where the plane in a ice storm did not get enough elevation and crashed through a bridge and landed in, in the, the river. The great human story that comes out of that tragedy is the one man who kept insisting that the rescuers take the other one, take the other one, take this one. And then when they came back for him, he had slipped beneath the icy waters and was gone. Greater love had no man than that. And he probably knew very few of those people that he allowed to go before him. And he gave the supreme sacrifice, his life, for others. Out of the war stories comes many great stories, but the one that I remember vividly for having read so many times and, and loved so greatly is the story of the chaplains who on that ship found that there were not enough life preservers for all of the men that were on board, and they gave their life preservers to enlisted men. And together, arm in arm, they went to the watery grave. For greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus wept for his friends, for whom he was giving his life. And why did he feel it so keenly? Because he knew the wages of sin is death. And the people in that city and the people that he sees throughout all of history were going to pay the price of death for their sins. He could see it, and they could not. How many parents have been able to see the future for their children or their grandchildren? 
and have wept because they saw the future. I've done that. I shall never forget one night in my young life when I was facing a tremendous trauma that I heard tears from down the hall as my dad cried himself to sleep for me. You've done it, or you've had it done for you, no doubt. But the greatest of all tears are the tears that flowed from the, from the eyes of Jesus as he overlooked the world on the day of his triumphal entry and gave his life that others might live. Secondly, let me say I believe that he wept that day because he saw their blindness and their deafness. Their blindness and their deafness. We're quite concerned about physical imperities. We're all concerned. We're very much concerned if a person is blind or about to lose their sight, and we ought to be concerned. And this, this is quite a trauma that, that, are, that would be facing us. And in the ministry of Christ, on many occasions, we hear of his willingness to, to heal, to bring the sight back to the blind. On one occasion, he put his fingers in the ear of the deaf man and gave him back his hearing because it was a tremendous trauma for the people. Dr. Paul Brand wrote a book entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Dr. Brand is a, an, an MD. He's not a preacher. He's an MD who works for the public health service in a, in a hospital in one of the southern cities. I can't remember which now. But he spent 19 years, he and his wife, in India as medical missionaries. It's a tremendous book. In that book, Dr. Brand described an episode when his wife, who also was a surgeon, Margaret Brand, was operating on quite a number of people who had eye problems. And he described the conditions that were certainly not surgically oriented because they, they performed their surgery out in the open just on a table with a little bit of shade that would be provided. And even into the night they would operate, and, she, and he described how that she had enlisted the help of one of the little boys to hold the flashlight, and he was to hold the light and shine it on the eyeball. As Dr. Brand cut open the eye and sewed it back again, she wasn't sure, he said, whether or not the little boy could be steady and could take that, that cutting and watch it happen, but he had to look at the eye in order to know where to shine the light. And he held it steady, patient after patient after patient, as she cut and sewed. And then finally one patient, the flashlight began to waver. And she said, son, can't you hold it still? I can't see what I'm doing. And he said, doctor, I can't look. This one's my mother. surgery was successful and sight was restored to that boy's mother but Jesus is looking to people who are spiritually blind who don't know they can't see and he wants to heal a good friend of mine several years ago 
was the operator of a TV repair shop. And I went one day into his shop to talk to him about something that was wrong with my television. And I walked into the shop and, and things seemed strange. He was sitting with his back to me. And there were several people carrying out televisions that were sitting around the shop. And I thought, boy, that's an awful lot of business all of a sudden. And his wife was there. And I walked in and he paid no attention to my coming in. And his wife finally said to him, his name was Ken, he said, Ken, Jim is here. And he was sitting on a swivel chair where, that he used to do his repair. And he swiveled around and faced me. And he was wearing dark glasses. He was as stone blind as he could be. The shock that went through me was unbelievable. And I said, Ken, what happened? And he said, I don't know. He said, I took my wife to the doctor in the afternoon the other day, and, and I sat in the car with the children while she went to the doctor, and he said, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, he thought, my goodness, I have slept into the night. It's dark. And he was blind. This is physical tragedy. This is talking about people who physically can't see, who physically can't hear, perhaps. Over in the book of Revelation, Jesus repeated again and again and again to the churches, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And it's a tragedy if we physically can't see or physically can't hear. But the great tragedy in this world today are those who have physical eyes and those who do have ears, but they're not listening and they're not seeing. And this is the people for whom Jesus wept on that day as he overlooked the city of Jerusalem. He wept for their blindness and he wept for their deafness. Thirdly, let me suggest to you that Jesus wept because these people were passing by the opportunity to be saved. I know all of you have done as I have done on a few occasions said, no way, you're not going to get me to try it when somebody urges us to do something. I've had a few people want me to go down the new river on a raft and I have said to them there is no way that I'm that stupid that I'm going to get in that raft and go down that wild river and take a chance I just don't have enough confidence in the guy on that raft have any of you gone down that new river you dummies <laughs> you're going to oh my well you go ahead I'll wait for you down at the end uh but people keep saying, try it, you'll like it. You know, well, maybe I might. Or you'll never know what you're missing. Well, now, there are a few things I've been willing to do when somebody talked me into it like that. And you know what? I found out I liked it. Haven't you done that? Try it, you'll like it, and you found out that you would. But had we not been willing to try it, we would have lost the opportunity to know whether or not we would like it. The scripture says that eyes have not seen, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. 
the tragedy that Jesus was seeing as he sat there on the back of that little colt overlooking the city of Jerusalem was a group of people in that city and on down through the rest of eternity who would not try it and never knew what they were missing. Never knew. If any of you this morning in this congregation have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you that your eyes have not seen and your ears have not heard the marvelous things that God had prepared for you. For you. They were passing up eternal life. They were going to die. And his death on the cross in a few hours would have been in vain for their eternal security. You know, life is awfully short. Awfully short. Seems like a long time to a kid. And uh, to a kid, 30 is old. I remember when I thought 30 was old. Now I think 30 is tremendously young. I'd like to get back there again. Matter of fact, I wouldn't mind going back to 40. Some of you wouldn't mind even getting back to 60. There's a few of you probably wouldn't even mind going back to 70. It's your perspective that makes the difference as to what old is and how long life is. You who are under 16 can't wait till you get there. But eternity is so long. It's forever. It's forever. And if one does not take advantage of the life that we have now to taste of those things that, that are eternal, that are God's, that he has prepared for our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our souls to absorb, we will never know the beauties and the glories of God's eternal life. We've got to try it. Then we'll discover that we like it. Fourthly, let me quickly say, but I believe that Jesus wept on that day because he could see that the people of that city were on a collision course with destiny. And their destiny was destruction. They were on a collision course. All of you remember, at least those of you old enough to have read or studied about it, the tremendous ship, the Titanic. They were having a good time on that ship not knowing that they had set their course for a direct collision with an iceberg. Had you been up in heaven looking down upon that scene, your perspective would have shown that. And God knew it. Our Lord knew it. But there was nobody on board that ship that would acknowledge it at least. And they had set their course for a collision. And many, many hundreds of people died from that tremendous crash. Imagine yourself, if you will, out on the hillside looking at a train track. And over to your left comes a train with its whistle blowing. And over to your right is another train with the whistle blowing. 
and they're approaching each other and it suddenly dawns on you they're on the same track what can you do about it probably nothing this is the history of the world it's on a collision course with destruction not only is the world that way but your life and mine is either on a collision course with disaster or it's on the track leading to eternal life all of us have had intuitions and we have said afterward I knew it I just knew it was going to happen I could see it coming let me say to you every one of us who are a Christian we have seen with our eyes and we have heard with our ears the message that Jesus Christ has proclaimed with his death on the cross and we found out that our life was on a collision course with disaster and we changed tracks the switch was thrown and we changed tracks but if there is anyone in this congregation this morning that hasn't gotten on the track to glory whose conductor is not Jesus Christ you are on a collision course with disaster and it is for you that Jesus weeps his tears were for you his tears were for me will you respond to those tears this morning and let them not be in vain shall we pray Our Father, we stand with thee this morning overlooking the city of Jerusalem that represents the world. We look into your face and we see the tears flow down across your cheeks for your concern for every soul in this world. We know, our Father, that in a very short while you will go out to the cross of Calvary and there give your life that others might live. You weep not for yourself, but you weep for us. For those of us this morning who have accepted you as Lord and Savior, we share in your tears this morning for those who have never yet responded to those tears that were shed, have never yet responded to the life that was given on the cross of Calvary, and we pray that if there is a person in this congregation this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who has never allowed those tears to be shed and accepted for them, that this morning they would respond to the invitation to accept you as Lord and Savior. Regardless of the age this morning, our Father, our young person, or old, we pray for them and ask that your spirit would lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Our invitation to him is number 198.
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.